Welcome back to the Lorcana Cast, your premier Lorcana podcast. This week, we are going to have the team of Chris, Jason, and myself, and we are going to be talking about what makes a great trading card game player. So we sat down and discussed some of our favorite tips and tricks about how to improve your gameplay, how to improve your trading card game knowledge, and just how to, you know, win more games more frequently. So let's just jump into this week's episode and have some fun. So I want to give a shout out to Citizens of Lorcana posted on January 23rd. A great question on Twitter. Trading card game players, what does it take to go from good to great? And I posted a bunch of answers and I actually had a bunch of folks message me uh, privately asking to clarify some of these answers. There are a bunch of, I think I had put 10 or 11 responses. Uh, we can m- link that back in the show notes. But the the question was fantastic. This is something a lot of people ask themselves at some point or or another in their trading card game lifespan. Who am I? What do I want to do? And how do I go from good to great? And I, I do want to clarify, going from good to great doesn't necessarily mean being a competitive player. Sometimes it just means not making the same mistakes over and over. Sometimes it means being a little bit more proficient with your deck. Sometimes it means being a little bit more succinct with your action economy or your sequencing. This doesn't necessarily target explicitly the hyper-competitive players who want to be the best player in the world and crush all the opponents in front of them. Oh, this is definitely more of a question for people who want to just improve themselves overall. And so I want to go in with that attitude and that perspective that we're not talking to any one type of individual, any one type of player. We're just trying to give the best overall response for people who want to go from where they are to better than where they are currently. And so a lot of these answers are very much across the board, regardless of if you're playing Orkana or Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or Flesh and Blood or DBZ or One Piece. All trading card games follow a very similar style of play. The mechanics can be different. The way you win can be different, but they still use resources. You still have body language. You still interact with human beings. And of course, one of the biggest things we're going to talk about is reading the card. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, Yu-Gi-Oh uh, players don't know how to do that. Yeah. You know, there's, my, you? there's my shot at Konami today. Yeah, I know, right? Are you inept at reading? Then you're great for you. I activate this card that says what I think it says. Okay, I guess that's what it must say because you read the card <laughs> wrong. Anyways, I love I love Yu-Gi-Oh a lot, but yeah, it, we all screw up half the time and we're like, did you read the card? Nope. Nope. <laughs> So let's let's pose the question to everyone here at the table for you personally. And, you know, Chris, Jason, you guys can figure out who wants to go first. But what do you think it takes to go from a good player to a great player? Jason, you go first because mine's weird. All right. So what I wanted to uh, bring up today for my tip is, um, again, as you guys know, or if this is your first time listening to our show, um, I am very much a competitive player, but the information I'm going to give, you know, applies, like we said, to to everyone. And so I'm going to be talking about the metagame and practicing to get better at whatever game you're playing, right? So let's start with saying, like, defining what exactly is the metagame. Um, so if you're, you know, if this is your first, my little TCG, as we like to say, 
So basically what a metagame is, it's just it's a collection of decks that, you know, you're going to see that's the highest representation. And that's going to be at whatever tournament you're at. It's going to be rather your locals or regional, a national level, especially um, these these decks. You know, they're usually like agreed upon by your community that they're the best strategies. And why are they the best? Right. It's because they they have uh, stats that back up results basically they're they're decks that win all the time right and so like you're when you're in a meta game you're going to have like the best decks and then you're going to have like decks and strategies for people who are like no i don't want to play that i want to try and counter that right and so why is it and like important to like understand your meta game so like i said whether you're casual um it's this is you know really irrelevant if you're competitive but i think casual players um need to understand you know what a meta game is too is you know you need to be on the lookout for these tournaments so that you can effectively make the right choices when it comes to deck building, when it comes to practicing, um, all that kind of stuff. And so like you you understand like what's going on in your game, like what cards to be on the lookout for. Um, if you know, especially if you're newer to games, you know you're going to want to know like, well, how do I find this information, right? So we're in a bit of a quandary with Lorcana being new so for an established game i'll use my game of choice which is dragon ball super um my recommendation if i was to you know have a give advice to a a player in our community who wants to get better is you know you if you want to like learn about the meta game and kind of like learn how to get better um look up videos on youtube for is, is a good one for like deck profiles um from uh, tournament results, meta breakdowns from like, there's a find like good content creators, like, and good is a very, um, I guess, subjective term. Um, go, just the, the, the uh, Yu-Gi-Oh is a, a fantastic example for this. Um, there's a lot of good Yu-Gi tubers out there who break down the tournaments that happen. We have it in DBS as well, but you know, they'll kind of go over like why this deck won, um, why, you know, these results are what they are. And so, you know, with Lorcana, I think this this meta will form rather quickly because we have such a limited card pool. Um, your competitive players and, you know, teams will sit down, they'll look at everything, and they're going to find the combos, the play lines, you know, very quickly. But, you know, like I keep saying, whether you're casual or especially competitive, you know, it's important to know what your metagame is so that, you know, when you sit down at that table, you know, like, Oh, if if Sugi plays like Elsa, it is a card I always like to use, you know, for him because he talks about her all the time. Like, I need to be aware that he's going to start like exerting. So, exactly. So, like, I need to be like, oh, well, what are ways that I can counter what she does, right? So, so you know, with with that, you know, base information, you know, when it comes to practicing, uh, this is something that. Sugi brought up in his his tweet, um, and I 100% stand by this one. Uh, my first bullet point for this is play the game religiously. Just play, play, play. It's a very strenuous process, especially when you're preparing for events. But if you want to get better at the game, you know it's like like they say. And you know, if you want to succeed, you got to put in your your 10,000 hours. Right? You need to play your deck like. 50, 100 times over and over again. And, you know, it's the, the reason why you want to do that is so you fully understand, like, what your lines of play are, what your combos are. Do, like, test hands and try to figure out, well, if, if try to, in order to, like, figure out, like, what your RNG is, 
why like what what can i do from this hand what do if if you have a mulligan system like we do in dragon ball like what do you need to send back like try to understand like why you're making the decisions that you're making within the deck that you're playing um another one going off the you know topic of the meta you need to play every meta deck the reason for this is because if you strictly just play your deck and your deck alone and so a, a good example for the team here, right? If I'm a aggro player and Suki is a control player, that is a horrible matchup for me. I need the reason being is because I'm going to try again. We don't know, you know, just go off. Say this is a life basis. Um, I know it's not presumably, but for the, the example that I'm giving, right? My goal is to if we're going off, you know, magic or Yu-Gi-Oh, like my goal is to deplete Suki's, you know, White points will use Yu-Gi-Oh to zero as fast as possible. But if he's playing a counter, you know, a control, you know, counter deck, he's going to make sure I can't do that. So as an aggro player, I need to understand what I need to play his deck in testing, especially for um, even, and again, locals too, but especially for a tournament level type thing, you know, you just need to play um, all the decks in the meta so that you can learn what they do why they do what they do in in doing so you'll learn what their worst matchup is and i see a lot of players in dragon ball who do not do this and then they wonder why they're not winning why they can't beat a certain matchup especially and so it's just a way to get proper information because then you can take those results from your testing from your repeated play like we talked about and then you can make adjustments for the different ratios within your deck um you know, moving on from that, um, when it comes to testing, this is a topic that can go back and forth. Um, I actually am curious what you guys think about this one and I'll, I'll give my little spiel and then I'll pose my question. A lot of players like to use an online simulator to practice for events. Now, Lorcana, presumably at the gate does not, you know, we know it doesn't have an online simulator. So, while I do think something like Master Duel or Tabletop Simulator Untap, they're beneficial for trying out like a new strategy, for example. When it comes to actually properly, what, what I consider properly testing, I don't think relying on ones and zeros in a computer is a good way to really go about testing for an IRL situation. And the reason for that is because in my mind, the RNG is very different when a ver- with a computer versus you know a physical deck because a deck has weight, especially if there's foils. Um, just to go off Dragon Ball, this happens in DBS all the time. Players prep on Untap because you know our online simulators come in next year, I do believe, um, and then they're disappointed when they go to an event and it's like, oh well, I just grind on like Untap all the time. But then like I, I I win and I do like great on untap and then they go like X3, X4 drop at, at a tournament, losing to those same decks that they were beating. And it's just like, yeah, because like and 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 my because untap, like again, the 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 RNG just it, it's not the same as what your how the, the cars typically come up like in a IRL environment. Typically, um, it's actually randomized on a computer. In, in real life, it's not always randomized. At the test, of that, a lot of times, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's that's the way of it. I also say, you know, because we have 
same thing for Flesh and Blood with Talishar. Just having a lot of those programs, I'm not sure about Untapped. You know, they they do the triggers for you, right? Or they oh. prompt you for triggers. And having a computer do that and having to do that in real life are two very different things. Right. So, yeah. you know, people, if you if you constantly practice on a computer and never doing it in real life, your your triggers are when it's in for people that are new to card games. That's just saying that, you know, when you play, um, uh, I can't remember the, the character now, the dragon lady, Maleficent um, mm-hmm. in Lorcana, you know, she's going to have a trigger where you, you get to destroy somebody, right? Or you get to banish somebody. Um, that's, you know, that's not very complicated, but like in some, some games and assumably Lorcana at some point, those things will stack. You'll have a lot of things going off at the same time. And knowing, you know, when you're in a 30 minute game, a 45 minute game, you get fatigued and especially over a day of playing and you sometimes miss those things. And you know that the game will have rules about how you deal with missing those things. But typically, if you miss them and a certain amount of time passes, you don't get to do them. Right. So that can make a big impact on your game. So that's uh, that's something that I see a lot with people that play a lot of line. Yeah. And then um, so I'm also curious about this one. So I this my my last tip before I, I hand it off, this one can be a little especially in the Yu-Gi-Oh community. What I'm about to recommend can be very controversial, but I think when starting out with a deck, I think it is perfectly fine to net deck. And from the standpoint of learning the strategy, and then you adjust from there. Um, for those who don't know, basically what net decking, net decking is, you're just finding a deck that's popular you know, online. And then so for the example, say Sugi mentioned like, oh, if what if like red blue, you know, uh, wins the, you know, world, the Locana world championship right so say say one of us like plays that deck and we win just for argument's sake right so you go online you we do a deck profile you go online and then you copy our deck down card for card and then you play our deck like i i don't think there's anything wrong with that to learn or to even try and like get results now this is this can be a very controversial topic but I don't like I don't think it's from from I, I think it's fine from a learning standpoint, but that's here or, or there. But that's just kind of what I wanted to go over for tips. I always net deck, just for the record. I, wow. I, I I am I wow almost never make my own my own deck and I am fine with that. Cause that's not my that's not my strength. And I and I think that's fine to people. I mean, people some people I tell I tell anybody that I play games with that I got this from somewhere else, you know, and inevitably you'll you'll change a deck in ways you think are appropriate right which will make it you know but but i always start with uh something that i think is is a, is a good deck from a player i respect um if, if i know that in the community sometimes it's just an idea i see because that's not that's not a strength of mine you know making my own deck and i'm that's i think you recognize that's a part of what you talk about with which which would you talk about being a good player is you got to recognize your strength and weaknesses and that's not a strength of mine is is building decks yeah and then so so for again to i guess expand off my idea real quick the reason why for the if you've played tcgs before you know why this is an issue but for the people who are you know this is my first little tcg the reason why it's an issue is there's a lot of people who take pride in building their deck they sat down they said i don't i want to make my own strategy 
do it my way. So for example, for this game, say like I love Big Hero 6, right? So let's say I want to play like strictly like a deck for like I'm going to be sit down and play like all the Baymaxes and Hero and like, you know, uh, Fred and, you know, Go-Go and Honey Lemon and like all, all that, right? So like I want to play my Big Hero, but you know, 6 deck. But to go back to our, our example, say like this like red, the this, this red blue deck we're talking about. Say like that's like the definitive best deck. So like there's it, it just comes down to like Chris said, like what what's your strength, like what's your weakness? Because there's a lot of people who aren't honestly good at deck building, but like they still like playing the game. So like I think like it's kind of like a fine line and a balance as like like we keep talking about like knowing your your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I think there's a couple answers to this question. So net decking has been depending on the community you're playing in. Sometimes it's taboo, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's controversial, sometimes it's not. So I think the the heart of the issue is if a player goes to a major tournament and submits a deck, just the way that everything works nowadays, everything's going to get streamed, the deck list is going to get leaked, so there's not really... And also, it's not like it's a proprietary thing where, you know, if I... For this example, if I win a Lorcana Worlds and I built the deck, no one can play the deck because it's mine. I, I think that's silly. I, I think that's very, it's very silly. And again, to pick on the, my favorite community to pick on, Yu-Gi-Oh! players are notorious for this. And I don't understand it, quite honestly. I think it's because eventually, to your point, like the Yu-Gi-Oh! tubers are going to get their hands on it. Someone at the event's going to leak it, like, or, you know, they have streams, especially at like a YCS level, right? Like a high regional level, at like world's level, like nationals. It, it's it's gonna get out, right? So I don't like I don't understand these people are like, no, that's my deck. I made it, and the argument can be, okay, but maybe someone else who just doesn't play the game all that much or go 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 to a specifically events all that much. Like maybe they came up with the same deck, but you're getting the credit because you went to said event and did well with it. And the logic in a a perfectly balanced, no, none of these games are perfectly balanced. The logic is too that the person that made the deck is going to know the deck better than anybody else that picks it up from net decking it. They're they're going to know why certain cards are there. And if a game like Flesh and Blood or some of these more complicated games includes sideboarding, which again, we talked about in the past is, is being able to change your deck based on either uh, pre-boarding, like seeing what another character is you're facing and knowing what to do for that matchup, or you plan uh, best two or three, so you've already played the match, and now you can change for another game, right, for a second game. Um, They're going to know the cards to side in, take in, take out for those matchups where you just pick that deck deck up, most likely, even though some of these these, um, uh, deck databases are getting pretty advanced now, you probably, you know, may not know the cards to switch in and switch out. And even if you do know the exact cards, you may not know the strategy of when to play those cards right so like even you know in flesh and blood there's a time where like there might be a card that you only block with or there may be a card that you only use as a last desperate measure right so that's another theory that i think gives um you know people that net deck like they'll say well you don't really understand the deck um which i think is, is a fair point because you didn't make, make that deck some in some games that it may be acceptable that you can figure out everything you know just based on the cards in the deck but in more complicated games just knowing the cards of the deck doesn't tell you nearly enough about how to play the deck yeah and that's kind of another thing i wanted to bring up is if you net deck something i mean who cares like there's not like a net deck police that's gonna come to your house and you know take you away for copying a deck that you found on the internet the big thing realistically is just because you and i've seen this happen a million times if you if you go online 
and you find a deck that want a major event and you buy every single card on TCG player, you sleeve it up and you go to your locals, you are not going to automatically win because you have the same cards as insert name of professional player here. The players who win know the insides and outsides of their deck. They know their lines of play. They know their combos. No deck just plays itself minus some red deck wins from older Magic the Gathering. So I don't care if you net deck. I care if you're a competent player because I can ha- I can hand you a deck that's a duplicate copy of the world champion deck. And if you have no idea what you're doing, you're still going to lose. So whether you net deck or not, I don't think it's a big deal. The other thing is there's only so many permutations of cards. And once a, right. a shell, so in, in card game terms, a skeleton or a shell is basically, if you're trying to say build a control deck, there are mm-hmm. going to be certain cards that certain are just point. so efficient that they're always going to be included in that deck. So they're a part of the skeleton or shell. So we'll use Elsa and Aurora, for example. If Elsa is the best means and the most efficient means of exerting your opponent's characters, then you're going to bring as many Elsas as you can. And if Aurora is the best way to protect your cards from targeted spells and abilities, then you're going to bring as many Auroras as you can. And so at that point, you would have a princess control shell where, hey, for this example, you bring four Elsas, four Auroras, and then you start to build the the flesh and blood and bones outside of that skeleton. And that's where Jason and myself and Chris would differ. You Using, you know, maybe this spell or this glimmer or this ability or whatever. And so we all have the same core cards. We just add different flavoring. So eventually, after so many permutations of trying to find that efficient shell, most high-end players are going to figure out that certain cards are just better than others. And so most of the decks are going to be 99% identical minus one or two tech cards for bad matchups. And so at that point, stops becoming, oh, this is a Sugi deck, or this is a Chris deck. It just turns into a princess control deck with a little bit of unique flavoring from whichever person is piloting the deck. So it just, be it, to me, it's annoying when people try and basically copyright a deck saying, well, this yes. is the yes. Sugi deck. Yes. Nobody, nobody cares. I don't even care. And I'm the one who built it. I think it's stupid trying to copyright a deck. And if someone, oh, that person over there who's not Sugi played the Sugi deck and then they give him credit. Oh, great. I don't care. Cool. Right. Great. It's a, it's a training card game. Come on, get over yourself. Seriously. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. And then to, to, you know, go off of what we're talking about, like, again, I think it's perfectly fine, like to net deck. But again, as long as you sit down to go back to my own points and you take the time to like practice, you learn those lines of plays and you learn like why the, the, the creator of said deck made those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I built a deck and someone copied it and did well with it, I would just be happy that the deck, is being played. I I wouldn't care if I got credit for it at all. Cause I mean, that that's just me. I care more about playing the game than trying to get, you know, famous or uh, credentials. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're not, we're not chasing clout basically. Yeah. I, I just want to yeah. have fun and teach people the right way to be exerted using my princess control deck. Oh God does come at me. You, you've got dragons and mice. I've got princesses with magical powers and Aladdin and I have Aladdin. So, so now I'll, it's, I'll, it's, I'll teach a lot. I'll exert Aladdin. You, you just watch me. You'll exert him sideways all night long. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> it's now known as the Sugi control princess show. That's the name of it from now on oh no no i'm good don't do that <laughs> don't do that mr krabs 
But I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Jason's point. I think it's an excellent point. Um, knowing the meta is important. Even if you're not a competitive player, just having an, a basic understanding of what's happening will improve your game state. So if you if you show up to a, a locals with Lorcana and you have no idea what's going on, you sit across from someone playing Aladdin and Jasmine and then they pull out a Jafar and then they pull out a Genie and then they pull out a Simba and you're just like, well, I don't know what's happening. I guess they do whatever. The opponent, unfortunately, has much more leeway to accidentally cheat because if you don't know what they're doing, you're just going to trust them to do whatever they're doing. And uh, lovingly, we say, you know, RTFC, read the freaking card or, you know, the more family friendly reading the card. Did you know that reading the card explains the card? So if you know the meta and you know what decks are supposed to do and you know what cards are supposed to do and your opponent plays a deck and they accidentally misplay, we're assuming that people are not trying to cheat you. You have that knowledge and that advantage to say, wait a minute, I don't think that's what that card does. And you can help educate them that, you know, Simba does not attack for 400 million damage. He actually just lets you draw one card and the opponent goes, oh, my bad. I didn't know. I, I didn't read the card. OK, so knowing the meta helps protect you from people who are uh, legitimate and illegitimately trying to cheat. It just happens. We all make mistakes. Uh, we're human beings. It just happens. So, you know, don't don't think everyone's trying to cheat you. But I guarantee you're going to make a mistake. Your opponent's going to make a mistake. So if you know the meta, you can help avoid those. The other thing is you kind of have an idea of what you're dealing with. For me personally, it's really obnoxious to sit down against a deck. I know nothing about. The opponent starts doing whatever they want. And I have to ask them, hey, can I read that card? Can I read that other card? Can I read uh, that third card? It's the absolute worst. It's the worst. Well, I mean, it's it's fair to ask if you don't know what the cards do, but I hate having to read 16 different cards to make sure my opponent's doing what they say they're doing. So being able to watch a video or a battle report mm -hmm. or some kind of like deck building thing allows me to educate myself. So yes. if my opponent does play a combo deck where it takes 16 different steps, I know maybe 14 of the 16 if they take a step I don't remember. Hey, may I please read that card just to verify? Okay, cool. Please continue. You know, depending on who you are and what you're comfortable with, you know, sometimes you just don't want to read 16. Now, of course, this is a Yu-Gi-Oh! Extreme iteration of someone doing this long play. I'm, I'm pretty sure Lorcana is going to be like maybe one, two or three steps deep when it comes to combo plays. I don't think it's going to be super heavy, but still, you don't want to have to ask every single time, hey, what does that Elsa do? Hey, what does that Mickey do? Hey, what does that card do? Because you're just going to get tired of it and, you know, it's it's boring. So if you have understanding of the meta, you have understanding of what cards can do, what decks can do, what they cannot do. And so I think it makes the game much more fun. I also think it makes the game much less stressful because you're not sitting across from something that you have to explore on your very own. For the first time, you have no idea what's happening. You actually kind of understand, oh, hey, Simba is an aggressive character, so they're going to be probably playing you know, aggressive cards. And then Ruby is kind of a removal character color, so they're going to try and take out my big creatures and then beat me down with big monsters. Okay, cool. I, I, I don't have to know everything, but I understand the general concept of what's about to happen. And then you can formulate a strategy on how to stop that. Yes. Mm -hmm. The other thing I really like about knowing the meta, and I think this is for every single potential player for Lorcana, it allows you to have an educated discussion at your locals. I've seen this happen a million times where people are sitting around the table after a game. They're talking about what happened. And there's those one or two people that are kind of just listening to them, no idea what's what's happening, no idea what they're talking about. They, they're just, you know, like just there, I guess, to 
be a part of the social interaction. But if you have an understanding of the meta, you can understand what terminology is being thrown around. You can understand when people are talking about ratios or, you know, net gains or net losses or net neutral. Like there's there's so many things that just a little bit of investment in time and reading can give you a huge leg over the average TCG player. And I'm not talking about, you know, studying hours and hours and hours. I'm talking about, you know, just understanding like fundamentals. It's kind of like sports. You can watch a sporting game and then know nothing about it and go, oh, hey, that's cool. You know, those guys are throwing a ball around. They scored some points. But when you really understand like fundamentals, you can kind of get into a deeper aspect of, okay, now I understand why they made that play. I understand why they made that decision. I understand why they're doing this on offense. I understand why they're doing this on defense. And so you become, you feel like you're a more connected part of the community. You're not just an observer, but you're a contributor. And I think that's very important for people who are, um, not necessarily part of a trading card game, but I think it's important for people who are part of a local community scene. So if you're going to your your friendly local game store and playing Lorcana, you don't want to just be someone who shows up, plays, and go home. You want to be someone who makes friends. You can help teach new players. You can help communicate what's happening. If someone has a question, you can help illuminate their, their understanding of what's happening. And so I think just a little bit of studying the meta can help with all of those things just by watching a video or listening to a podcast. I'm not really just trying to plug us. I'm just saying like any kind of viable, legitimate content that explains what, like, for example, a princess control deck is, you know, watch one or two videos or watch, you know, a video and listen to a podcast. Just get enough information where you understand the, the core concept. And then if you're not a control player, okay, cool. Don't study it. Like, I'm not an aggro player. I'm not going to study aggro decks. I'll learn how they work. I'll learn the combos. I'll learn their lines of play. I'll learn how to beat them. And then I'll move on. But I'm going to study a control deck inside and outside. I'm going to know every single angle, every single play, every single answer, weaknesses, strengths. That's my thing. So you don't have to be a know-it-all. You just need to know enough in each department so that way you can participate in the conversation, if, if that makes sense. Totally does. Um, so I will go next. I So my initial response to the, the question with Suki put a test was uh, related, again, to community and community building because I think being a good player is related to being a good member of your community. Um and contrary to what people may think, it's not, I'm not going to say that you have to, you know, you know, be a bastion for the game and, and, and go out and bring new players in necessarily. I think the first thing you do to be, you know, a good member of the community, which will make you a good player in turn, is know, know where your strengths lie, right? So know, do a real self-assessment of yourself. And this and this can change, too. It may it may change depending on, you know, if you have a good day, bad day. It may change if, if uh, you're in a competitive season or a more casual season. If you're trying to prepare for a big event or if you're just, uh, you know, or you just want to play kitchen table with your, your friends. Um, but do an assessment of where you're at and where that where you where you want to be in the community. So I say all that because you know to you can't play these games by yourself. We, we're not, they're not video games. You need to have some type of physical community to play TCGs with, collectible card games with. Whether that be you know if you have your four four good friends or even even one good friend and you guys travel together or you, you play weekly or every other week or whether you go to the local game store every week and, and have a, a set night when you have you know eight nine ten friends that are going to play the game with you um, do that self-assessment and know, you know, it, are you able to, you know, be a, be somebody that wants to teach the game and spread the game. And what that usually means is, you know, going slow with things, especially if people have never played card games before explaining what you're doing, you know, sometimes pointing out what someone else is doing, you know, not having a, a competitive exchange of that when that's happening. Right. 
you're just you're teaching the game. Um, and that might happen at, at a weekly event, you know, which which is sometimes, you know, especially if their game has been established for a while, that may be the only way the new players come in is they, they heard that there's a, a weekly play event um, and they want to come in and learn the game. Right. So that's, you know, are you that type of player or are you the type of player that, that whenever you play the game, you need to play your best. You need to you need to win the game. You got to play it. You, you can't hold back. You know, again, I'm not trying to play a negative connotation on that because I'm not that type of player. But I think that there are people that way and they, they have a hard time, you know, even, you know, playing the game if they're not going to be playing their best and and, and and making the most optimized plays and that type of thing. So um, I don't think that that type of player necessarily teaching the game, trying to teach the game, it is going to lead to a good experience bringing people in. So that's why I say do a self-assessment of yourself and how you want to engage with the community, if that makes sense, um, and how you want to be and how you want to be involved in the community. Um, and again, that may change depending on the day, depending on the season. But do that assessment before you engage with people coming into the community, because that's going to make a, a big deal about the growth of your community. People want to pick up the game. People not want to pick up the game. Um, this is triggered mainly because I, you know, I talked to a friend um recently about a totally different game and, and that I taught him how to play. And he said, well, he had tried to learn it years ago and, and the person teach him the game, you know, it wasn't really a, a teach session, which it was, it was really just him sitting back and losing the game, right. For two hours, three hours, which he had no, at that point, he had no interest in like wanting to learn more about the game um, and really turn him off of even getting involved buying the game. Um, so that just triggered my mind about, you know, what is, what does it mean to be a good member of the community? What does it mean to, to want to grow the game? And sometimes if you, if you can't be that, you know, that person that is really somebody who wants to reach out and teach the game, it may be better for you just to not try to do that. Right. That's not, that might not be a strength you have. So again, um, I think recognizing that early on and knowing which way you can help your community really will make you a better player because you, you can't get good at these games. Like we were just talking about you know, earlier about, you know, playing these games online, then that, that's not something that's going to necessarily translate to the table hundred percent of the time. Those may be good aids. So you really need to bring, build some type of decent community around yourself to play these games in person. You know, if you want to be better at them, um, if you want to get reach that next level. Um, so I think, I think community building is part of, of being a good player. Yeah. That's such a, a good piece, piece of advice is to go off your the example you gave, you know, for your friend, unfortunately I'll pick on my own game here. And I've seen a lot of, uh, Dragon Ball super communities go away because, or not be able to grow more specifically to your example, because you get these ultra high end competitive players and you get someone, you know, who little Timmy who comes in and he wants to learn how to play Dragon Ball super and then he gets beat down by a tier one meta deck. And then, you know, it, it, I've seen a lot of new players try to play our game. And then, you know, our game is filled with ultra high level competitive players who end up, you know, curb stomping their opponents. And then what incentive is there for little Timmy to learn how to play the game? Like if, if that's his experience, He's not going to want to keep coming back to his community, you know, in order to keep playing the game. And unfortunately, that's really hurting Dragon Ball Super, if I'm being honest. And I don't want I don't want Lorcana to go in that same position, especially given the IP around this. You know, you're going to have a lot of families and and younger Illumineers coming into LGSs. And so, you know, to your point, we really need to build that community, you know, 
like we we say every episode this is someone's first my little tcg right so to your point we we really need to just as and i i'm to your and this is a, i think a good example for me being a high competitive player right so just calm down take a breath and like just because i'm, I'm going to be learning this this card game too right it's not like it's not like i'm on the creative team you know being best buds with with ryan and i know how to play this game right so you know take take time and build that community so that this game does survive for for the long term and the the game the company himself could backstop some of this or, or help with with this a little bit um and your lgs help with this a little bit too in different ways so the so companies to encourage growth of game in my opinion need to make you know like we don't know we don't know the rules we don't know the competitive nature of the organized play so it's hard it's hard to make the speculation about this game in particular but if there if there was a competitive format to grow the game there needs to be a non-competitive format right so the, the, the in my opinion from the official non-competitive format from the from the company or something that they, they push to teach new players the game so for example for flesh and blood again that's my big thing for the last four years you know they have a format called blitz which is basically you know half the health of the normal game plays a lot faster a lot simpler because half health smaller decks all that kind of stuff um that's what they push as a company to say this is where new players should start some people agree with that some people don't agree with that but that at least that is there right and that is something that you could say well this is we should have a blitz night once a month we should have a blitz night twice a month um to put that out there as a great opportunity for new players to come and then that kind of sets the the stage for people coming to that event to knowing that well, this format is supposed to be, you know, more new player friendly. Um, so that that's on the company side and on the LGS side is in making that available because, you know, a lot of better players are always going to want to play the, the top tier competitive format, right? They're always going to be pushing the LGS to do that. And something that I've, I've worked on the last couple uh, years in my local games that I help run Flesh and Blood is making a rotation that includes Blitz, that includes different formats. So we're forced, we're forcing those communities to to get outside of this this rut of always playing the competitive format, right? Which will give an entry point to new players coming in, and again resetting our minds to saying we gotta we gotta some of us at least have to switch our mindset to a, a, a teaching mindset, right? To keep the game going, to grow the game, because again, we you can't be a good player without a community, without having a a, a place a, a place that a, a, a group of friends that play the game consistently. So that's what that's that's my thoughts. Sugi, what you got? Yeah, I think you have a really great thought. Uh, mine is pretty straightforward. So there's a lot of things that are relevant with the trading card game itself. But when you're playing in a tournament in real life, and this gets away kind of like what Jason was talking about, from the testing phase, using digital clients, using online clients to test the math, body language is super critically important to really strong players in trading card games. It's just like when you watch World of Poker or anything else, If you draw a card and you make a big frowny face, your opponent's going to know, oh, cool, they didn't draw anything good. Or if you draw a card and you start to smirk and smile and hide behind the card, it's like, okay, they probably drew something good. So you're inadvertently telling your opponent something that you should not be telling them whatsoever. So my point to make yourself a great trading card game player is to be confident and watch your body language. There's a very, very fine line with what I'm saying, and I want to be very clear-cut that there is a difference between lying to cheat and lying to be a good player. So lying to cheat would be... um, I mean, it's super hard to do because if you lie, your opponent can just call you out on it. So for example, 
like, you know, I guess I should clarify this one. So when I say lying to win a game, I've played tons and tons and tons of magic, lots of magic in Yu-Gi-Oh at very high levels. I've been to plenty of Friday Night Magics where we're playing a game opponent is about to cast a spell and i start tapping man and they're like do you have th- this counter spell and i'm like yes i do and like oh well i scoop i i guess we'll go to game two i do not have the counter spell in my hand i just started tapping lands because that is a game mechanic you can absolutely do you can tap your lands at any point in time and do nothing with the mana but my opponent asked me if i had a card and i said i did which i didn't and they just assumed that i did and didn't force me to prove it or show it and they said cool i just don't want to play let's move on if you're playing a game at a high level always force your opponent to show there's there's a phrase that high level trading card game players use and it's uh, make them earn it make them prove it make them show it whatever terminology you want to utilize in your your brain but if your opponent says yeah i've, I've got the counter spell okay cool show me play it right now oh uh well i really don't okay cool then i'm gonna cast my spell i'm gonna you know play my glimmer i'm gonna do my thing and you can't stop me for some odd reason i don't know why this is but if you're at locals and you lie and say yeah i've got the spell like about half the time people just scoop and quit and say oh well i guess you're telling me the truth so i i it's really tricky because people go well you're lying to win well yeah kind of (laughs) like i'm not condoning lying in regular life like you know don't lie to your loved ones don't lie to your husband or wife or partner you know your boss uh but if we're playing a trading card game and you know there's prize support on the line and you ask me hey do you have this card that'll win the game sure why not and if you don't check me and force me to show it i'll take a free win that's fine by me you you chose to concede to me for lack of information okay so that's that's one part of being confident is you know if someone asks you oh, i just want to unpatch that a little bit so i mean i think it's very niche which is this is what you're talking about I've, i hardly ever have that happen where somebody's asking me about a specific card and then that leads to a concession right so i'm not sure how many times you if you have that happen more than i do but i would be you know i think your general point that um, bluffing and gamesmanship is part of the game is fair. And that's something that I think that's the bigger thing that I would take away from your comments than the specific word you were saying, because I will say in flesh and blood, you know, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I will never imagine like, like that. And I, I, I just can't think of a situation where this really would happen, but technically lying in flesh and blood, if somebody asks you, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't even get to that point. So that, that, I shouldn't say that about the, the situation you're talking about, cause it shouldn't even get that far. But if you lie to an opponent or a judge in flesh and blood, that could be a game state violation itself, right? So that's just a rules thing. And that, that's, again, that's a rules issue we have to unpackage other places. But I think your, your bigger point, right, is bluffing and that being part of how to become a better player, right? Yes. So like if someone asks you, you know, did you play this card? And you did, and you say, no, that that's clearly lying. That's cheating. Don't do that. Yes. But yeah, bluffing would be, you know, if I, if I've had this happen multiple times in magic, okay, I'm about to cast this creature. Okay. I started just talking about it. Yeah. Like <laughs> see the me, me as players, like why, like just cast it. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. So, so that's, but that's the thing is people start yeah. tapping man and they're like, okay, I think I'm about to cast this creature. And I start tapping mana prematurely. I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, why are you tapping the mana? Oh, well, you know, I'm just getting ready for you to cast a creature. And then they'll start untapping the mana. Like, well, 
maybe I won't. I didn't, I didn't do anything illegal. I didn't do anything wrong. I totally sure. bluffed them out by just, st- and sometimes you don't even have to tap your mana. Sometimes you just kind of start fid- fiddling with it. You know, you start reorganizing it into, you know, like most counter spells are three mana. So, you know, I'll just pick up three lands and stick them to the side and just stare at my opponent with a smile on my face. And they're like, oh, so they'll, they'll, they'll change what their plans were. And I, all I did was shift three cards from one side to the other. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll play devil's advocate against Sugi and say, just ignore Sugi when you're playing them. Like, yeah, like yeah, ignore, okay. ignore, yeah, yeah. ignore the, ignore the person doing that kind of stuff. Cause yeah. both sides, there's, there's also, uh, they're trying to figure you out. So I'll play, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's a gamesmanship, right? It's and very, so it's I, very true. That is the big secret. Ignore me, ignore exactly yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Make them show that yeah. they have it because really good players will, will do all kinds of things to try and scare you away from doing what you want to do. Sure. We will, we will actively try to make you play around us and make you fear something that we don't have. So if you're about to play a card that wins you the game and you're pretty confident I don't have the answer and I'm fiddling with my man and I'm doing all these things to try and scare you, go for it and see what happens. It's a 50-50. Either I do or I don't. That's it. There, there really isn't another option. It's yes, you win or no, you don't win. That's that's just how it goes. Like you do want to play around your opponent, but like Chris was saying, just ignore me. If I'm if I'm fiddling with my my inks and I'm doing all kinds of funny things, just do whatever you're gonna do and ignore me. That's that's the really easy way to ignore it. But I'm just saying, don't be uh, intimidated by that stuff. Yeah, it goes both ways. It's a, if that's your style, you may like that, that's that's your style. So you so it may it may help you get some some win percentages when you do think those kind of things, which is fine. You know, to to get those win percentages. On the other hand, of it, it may help you become a better p- player to to know, you know, when to ignore that. You know when to know when they're to 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 call the bluff and focus on what you're doing. Um, so I think I think it's a really good point that you're you're kind of talking about two different things. Ways to get as a good player. Go to your strength. If that is that something that you can do, you can make them make have that doubt. Or as a player, learn how to ignore that and not be, be so worried about what somebody may have. Not be so anxious about what may happen in the future. Just fall through your best plays. So co- confidence is a incredibly valuable skill to learn and to master because a player that plays confident is extremely hard to read player who's confident doesn't give away what's in their hand if you draw a bad card you have a poker face if you draw a good card you have a poker face if your opponent reads your bluff you have a poker face you don't give up any free information at all you are stone cold rock solid and you will earn your wins by making great plays because i've seen it happen a million times you know you're playing with someone who's younger or less experienced or maybe they're tired and i can't tell you how many times i've been at a pre-release where you know we started at midnight you're like four and oh five and oh you're trying to get to that top seed because if you win out you get like a full booster box somebody draws a card and they start smiling that is like the fastest time for me to either get that counter spell ready to fire off or to just try and draw like if they draw a card and they start smiling i either try and have an answer for whatever that is or i try and find an answer for whatever that is because they just told me they got an answer to whatever problem is going on they have a, a, a new creature a new spell a board wipe something if they hadn't have done that i would have no idea what they're doing and i'd have to just guess but when you start smiling you have just told me a lot of stuff and i'm just going to start playing around you if you make a big frowny face and this happens a ton of times people draw a card man boy you just told me that you just dead drawed and i can walk all over your board state because you don't have anything to stop me with now of course again it could be a double fake and they're trying to fake you out and again we're going into that reading and bluffing stuff but nine times out of ten 
people let their emotions ride on their sleeves. And when it's late or they're tired or they're having a bad day or whatever, and they start making faces, you're just giving away free information. I may not know what card you have, but I know what kind of effect it'll have on the game. And I know what I need to pivot to do or not to do to get around that. And people go, why did I lose? How did, I mean, I've been accused multiple times of people like, how did you know what I had? You were smiling like half of the game. Well, I just had some really good cards. Yeah. And when you stopped smiling, I knew that you were out of resources. And that's when I put the gas on. And that's when I won the game. Because when you're smiling, you have good cards. When you're not smiling, you have mediocre to bad cards. So I know exactly when to play defensively and when to play offensively. Oh, that's that's creepy. I mean, I play a lot of poker. I can just, I can just tell it's something that happens. So yeah, play confident. Just poker face. Don't give them anything. Have fun. But, you know, don't let people use your body language against you. That's a huge thing people don't even think about. You know, when you're sl- I, I've also seen this one. People play the game. They're kind of slumped over and they're not really, you know, super. I don't want to sound weird, but they're not super erect and sitting up straight. And all of a sudden they'll draw a card and oh, they're, they're sitting up straight and they're starting to look at the board state and they're looking at their cards and they're looking at your cards. You're telling me right now that you've got a play that you're trying to figure out. You're trying to figure out what strategy, what time to play. So you've got a card in your hand that you want to you fire off okay so now i'm just either gonna wait i'm gonna sit on a counter spell or i'm gonna throw you a bait card that you go oh cool that's a threat blow it up no that really wasn't a threat i just knew you had something you wanted to you know a big play you wanted to make and you blew it on something that's middle range value so cool now i'm just gonna again apply the gas get on the offense and you know win the game yeah and uh going back to your point um a while ago about the the local saying i think why people scoop at locals is because traditionally it's a more relaxed environment as to where you know if we're matched up at you know say a regional like there's there's more stakes you know on to your on, on the line than you know than at in the the local environment so i think you know at locals uh, you're just there to play three or four rounds and have fun and you know hang out with your com- your community and you know, see your friends and all, all that time, kind of stuff. Um, you know, in terms of everything else you were saying, I mean, I've seen this repeatedly, you know, in my TCG history. I have also been guilty of some of this. Um, you know, when you're playing, you know, at events and you're there at 7, 8 a.m. and it's 10, 11 o'clock at night, you haven't eaten, you're tired, you're hungry, you know, you don't sleep the night before there's from from traveling you know there's a lot of mental faux pas that can happen and your body language can cost you games left and right to suki's point so you know it it comes down to what i said earlier practice 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 you know it it's it's hard to hide hide emotions but just try your best you know to to see this point to to be confident yeah there's a reason why a lot of players you'll see them listen to music or wear sunglasses don't wear sunglasses it's real easy to see what's in your hand yes but there's there's whatever helps you kind of stay focused and you you really again the the biggest takeaway from being confident i want to you know, stick into people's brains, make them earn it, make them play it out, regardless of what they say, what they do, how hard they're faking it. If they claim I've got the card, cool. Pay your ink, pay your mana, pay your resources, play the card. Show me. Uh, okay, I'll do it. Cool. Show me. Uh, well, I, I, not right now. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to play my card and do my thing. Like go run with your strategy, run with your play. Don't let people emotionally bully you out of doing anything really there's there are people who are rude more rude and they'll try and pressure you into making mistakes if you come across those people immediately put your cards down call a to 
talk to them about what's going on. There's a difference between bluffing and bullying. There's a huge difference. Bullies are rude. They try and tell you what to do. They try and basically bully you into playing the game. A bluffer will just have a stone face and Mm. you'll play a card. Okay, cool. And you'll make a move. Okay, cool. You will get no emotion, no smiles, no sadness, no nothing. They just kind of act like a robot. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no crime. It's not a sin. They're just not going to let you have any emotion whatsoever. And then when the game is done, they you know act like a real human. They emote and they're like, hey, that was super fun. You're like, whoa, it's kind of creepy. I was just playing with a robot, a Mr. Spock, and all of a sudden they're you know smiling and having fun. Like That's generally what high players do. You'll see them just kind of you know, they'll greet you and they'll be like, hey, what's going on? I'm Sugi. Nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. They'll talk to you for a second. And then when the game starts, they just kind of, you know, turn on the Mr. Spock and they go, all right, I'm going to play this card. Is that acceptable? All right, I'm going to take this action. Is that because they're, you know, they want to kind of play the game. They want to be fair. But they're also, again, they're not going to give you any leeway, no body language, no information. You have to make educated decisions, educated guesses. You have to make good plays. And they're not going to give you any kind of edge by smiling, crying, making a sad face, complaining, throwing their cards down. Oh, I just can't draw a good card. I, I, I sincerely tell you, go to locals, just put on a stone face, watch what your opponents do. This is a really creepy way to get good at games. Don't do anything, but just watch your opponent. They will tell you so much with their face. They'll smile. They'll frown. They'll look at the same card for two minutes flat. And at that point, you know, Obviously, this is a card they want to play, and depending on what kind of game state, it could be a removal spell, it could be a big creature they want to play, but you know that there's like one or two cards in their hands they really, really want to play, and then, you know, you can start to do math. Hey, it's turn three, they haven't played it yet, but they've been looking at it since turn one, so probably this is something that's going to come out in the next turn or two, so maybe you should have a removal spell ready. There's just so many things people do, and they don't even know that they're doing it. Watch your opponent play games and just pick out the little nuances that give you an edge. It's really fascinating once you master being able to read body language. It's, it's really cool, and it's a very, very valuable skill to know and to not give up to your opponent. All right, so those were our thoughts on how to be a great player in any trading card game. There's still a lot more points, and we're going to kind of break some of these down over the next few episodes in the future. But I just want to you know, bring this back to the table and ask, are there any last thoughts, any last topics you all want to talk about before we get on out of here? Uh, sure. Um, I guess to expand off um, what I was saying, so with the practice element so there's another tip that you can take off of that and Suki, i'd love for you to expand on it because i think you said it beautifully on on twitter this is a lesson that i've had to learn very hard with dbs um because when it comes to competitive nature for I, i i love this game despite a lot of its issues um it's taking a break knowing when to step away from a game is something that's very important i will admit um when it comes to uh especially nationals for about two to three months i am nothing but dbs then i get tired of the game so you know you you need to take breaks you need to step away and unplug and kind of because yes i did say practice 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 play your deck a hundred thousand times and all that other stuff right yes you need to do that to understand your deck but you don't need to put a mental strain on yourself to where you end up hating your hobby, basically. 
Yeah, and to expand on that, the philosophy for practicing generally revolves around when you're first getting to know a deck. So if you've just built a deck and you're trying to become a proficient pilot, you need to play that deck 100 times because the first time you play it, you're not really going to know what you're doing. The 10th time you're playing it, you're going to have some idea of what you're doing and so on and so forth. So the more you play that deck, the more you're going to master it, the more you're going to know about it. Once you've become a master of the deck, then you need to start expanding into other decks and how they interact with your deck. Once you've learned all of that information, you just need to get reps as consistently as possible to stay fresh, but you don't need to be playing 100 times a week. Now, with taking breaks, every person has a limit. Each person's limit is totally different. So I'm I'm what I like to qualify as an endurance player. I can play 200 games in a day nonstop and be completely fine. But at the same point, I don't want to play the game 50 days in a row. I would rather play two days in a row and play nonstop for 15 hours a day rather than, okay, let's play eight hours a day for 10 days in a row. That's that's just my body is not, I don't want to do that. So each person, again, we're going back to each person has their limit. So taking breaks is important because it's like eating food. If you eat eggs every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, eventually your palate is going to become sick and tired of eggs. You're not going to want to even say the word eggs. And and you're just done. And that happens to trading card game players all the time. They play it, they breathe it, they live it, they do nothing but that thing. And three, four months later, they're sick and tired of it. They never want to see it again because that's all they ever did. So taking breaks is critically important where maybe instead of playing Lorcana, you play a board game or maybe you play Warhammer. Maybe you go see a movie or you play a video game or you go on a walk or some other hobby. Read a book. Something that kind of breaks up that palate. It's like, you know, when you have green tea ice cream after sushi or, you know, something to break up that that sensual, that that sense palate. So that way you don't feel like everything you're eating tastes identical, tastes the same. So, you know, this is very much an individual thing. Jason needs breaks different from Chris needing breaks, from me needing breaks, from you needing breaks, from Skeff needing breaks. So basically find your limit. Don't hit it, please. Please don't press that limit. But once you start to get to that point of, uh, kind of tired of playing Lorcana, stop, put it down, go do something else non-TCG related. Again, watch a movie, eat some ice cream, read a book, build a miniature, do something else, and then Come back to Lorcana, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Some people, it's a couple of days. Some people, it's a week. You know, take care of yourself. Your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, your trading card game health is very important. And what's nice is generally when you take a break and you come back, you'll have a new perspective. You'll be refreshed and you'll be more interested and you'll be more revitalized going back into the lab and playing games as opposed to forcing yourself to play, straining yourself out, getting tired, getting frustrated, and just being sick of the game altogether. All right, so before we get on out of here, I have one last question for the two of you that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, because I know for a fact we have a lot of people listening now, listening in the future, people who are coming into Lorcana as their very first trading card game ever. This is their first foray, their first experience. Uh, you know, what? what's an elevator pitch you would give to these new players who you know just picked up a starter deck, say at Target or Walmart, they're really excited to play with their friends or their parents, or maybe their, you know, co-workers or whatever, like, you know, depending on who it is. Uh, you know, what's a little elevator pitch tip you would give to them 
to not necessarily worry about going from good to great, but just enjoying the game as a whole. Yeah, my pitch would be, again, finding someone. If you're, if you're picking up this card game, having someone in mind that you can play with, whether that's a, a, a spouse, whether that's a child, someone that you can learn the game with, that you could teach, that you could, you know, what I commonly like to do is like read the rules, uh, do all the deep dive myself, and then be able to the, have have a have a vision of how I'm going to teach it to another person, my daughter, to to my wife, something like that, right? Um, so have that in mind when you decide to pick up the game, and that will assist you in how you're going to get those first steps, those first games in, get the first rules in, you know. Um, and obviously, along with that, like have a plan, a thought about where you want to go from there. Do you want to just stick, keep playing with your family, or do you want to expand until you know go into a weekly game night at your local game store? You know, where is your local, local game store? Have they, have, do they have an ad already? You know, can you be part of helping that night be formed if there's not a night? So those are those are all other steps. But yes, initially, the, the first thought is like, who am I going to play this with? When am I going to play it? You know, getting getting them something scheduled with that those, that person or those persons um, to, to actually get the game played. Because I think a lot of people will like see it, pick it up, you know, and it become, if you don't have a plan about how you're going to do that, it kind of gets lost, right? It kind of gets, you know, we are, we're all busy. It's another game you have to set up. You have to find time to do. So um, especially for those people just first getting into the first TCG, have a plan about how you're going to get it on the table and how you're going to teach it to people and how you're going to play it. Yeah, um, I think for me, I'm just going to just say just keep it simple and just have, you know, just have fun with it. Make it make it your own. You know, once uh, once like to Chris's point, once you find that individual or individuals in the place, whether it's your kitchen table or your LGS site, your going to be playing just have fun you know don't worry about practice 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 or all that for starting out just just sit have fun and make make it your own i'll add on to because what jason said made me think about something you know don't be so uh it's obviously important to know the basic rules of the game right but you're going to get stuff wrong you know, if this is like any any card game, you know, they're extremely complex. Even the most basic of them, they're, they're, they're have their own set of rules. They have their own interactions. You know, the golden rule is that, uh, you know, basically any car- text on a card will break those rules, right? Which is makes everything pretty confusing. So you have your basic rules in the rule book, but then you have cards consistently breaking the rules of the rule book to make a game actually fun and playable. So, yeah, just um, again, you know, probably focus on the main phases of the game. How the how the flow of the game flows without being so um, you know and, and victory conditions whatever the victory conditions are that that would be the first thing that I would focus on without being so uh, focused on keywords necessarily or timing of things just because th- those first early games are really just to get down the flow of the game and how do you win the game right um, so again that's something that Chase's comments just, just brought up in my mind that you you kind of want to you know get through a game and get to input of the game and not be so stuck on, you know, the keywords and like looking back at the rule book every five seconds, because then you won't progress to the end point of the game. And that's not really fun. So, yeah. And my elevator pitch for someone who is just getting started with Lorcana would be to make this hobby your own. You're going to hear a lot of noise from YouTubers and podcasters and Twitter and articles and all kinds of things saying, this is the best deck, this is the best card, this is the best blah, 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 blah. But really, at the end of the day, you're the one who's going to be purchasing cards, you're the one who's going to be building a deck, and you're the one who's going to be enjoying Lorcana of your own volition. So use content creators and media outlets as a resource 
but don't let them tell you what you want to do with Lorcana. If you want to build an Aladdin deck, build an Aladdin deck. If you want to build a princess deck, build a princess deck. Have fun, relax, enjoy. But I think a lot of people get wrapped up in, oh, you know, this podcaster said this, and this YouTuber said that, and this person on Twitter said that, and they get torn apart because so many different people are trying to influence and tell them what they should do when really at the end of the day, it's your hobby, it's your money, do what you want, have fun with it and enjoy it in that community sense that Chris is talking about. Enjoy it with your family, enjoy it with your friends, enjoy it with your local friendly game store. You know, don't let anyone tell you what to do or what you should play. You do what you think is fun and, you know, stand your ground. If someone tells you, oh, you shouldn't play that, you tell them to shut up. <laughs> they're not, unless <laughs> unless they're buying your cards for you, they have no right to tell you what to do or what to play. I hate when people do that local game stores oh you shouldn't be playing that deck that deck's terrible okay are you gonna buy me this new deck no i'm not gonna buy okay well then shut up stop telling me what to do with my money Thank he's you so aggressive much. tonight he's, he's out there lying <laughs> he is, he is. he's out there he's out there <laughs> confronting people saucy. Saucy. saucy but i mean like that that's a that's a that's a community killer and uh, chris right. it chris, is it is i agree yeah. i agree Chris is absolutely the heart of community building, and I respect and love that. And the one thing I absolutely hate in any community is when some doofus walks in and goes, why are you playing that deck? That deck sucks. Says who? Who are you? Oh, I'm regional know-it-all from 1997. Well, that's great. It's 2023. You don't count anymore, buddy. Again, looking at you, Yu-Gi-Oh! players. They are, they are, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I know you guys probably get tired. They are notorious for doing this crap and it drives me crazy. It's true. They're, they're like, no, that is not the right ratio. That is the, the garbage version of the deck. You should be playing it this way. It's right. like, who cares? Again, I, I will use a Yu-Gi-Oh example. One of my favorite archetypes in Yu-Gi-Oh is Cyber Dragons. I don't care if they're not meta relevant. I don't, I play that game they're casually. Fine. I love Cyber Dragons in, in, I love the blue eyes, white dragon. Seto Kaiba is my, my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh character. So do I have a blue eyes deck? Yes. Like I'm going to play it how I want to play it. Sit down. Do you screw the rules because you have money? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's just like, 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 like Suki said, like the example I gave earlier, when I get all the cards to play like a big hero six deck or a Robin Hood theme deck or Aladdin, I'm going to do it right. As maybe like a fun deck, but I'm still going to play it. Right. So if that's how I want to play the game, who are you to tell me like that? They're bad. And even if they are bad, if I love those characters, who cares? Right. I'm having fun playing with my favorite characters. Right. And second, I think your attitude what I found again, your attitude with building this community attracts those people that, that have the same attitude. You, you know, yes. So like, if, yes. if if there's a lot of people like that in that community already, which you know, then then that might not be for you. Then you could maybe find another local game store yes, to go yes. for. But if you get the first, what I found, and that's why I'm so big about this stuff. I'm talking about community a lot with with people just getting into these games. Is I try to get there first, and I try to establish what I think a community should look like and how I want the reflection of a community I want to see. I set that up early, right? So then somebody, if that person's coming into something a weekly game night that I have a, a hand in already setting up and I have my friends already coming and I know how they play and how I, how we play and that we, we want to bring in people that are positive and don't care what people play and let them and like encourage everybody to play whatever they want to play. We already have that foundation, right? So one person coming in 
is going to get drowned out by everybody else saying, no, they, they can play what they want. You know, they'll, they'll, we don't do that here. Like, well, you know what I mean? That's not what we do here. It's like Wakanda, right? We don't, we don't do that here. So um, <laughs> that's how I think about, about that. And it doesn't have to be anything, you know, you, you handle, you handle things the way that is your personality. You know, I don't, I don't have a, you know, my, my career, I'm very confrontive, but so which kind of leads me to my personal life, not being so confrontive. I just, I, I act, I, I do things by my own actions. Right. And that's, that's how I, I lead by my own actions rather than, I'm not going to sit there and say that that's not what we do here. I'm going to say, well, th- this is the deck that, that I play and it's not meta and it's not, it's, it's something that I enjoy playing and that's perfectly fine. And hopefully I'll, hopefully I win the game and I'll show you that's a good game, right? A good, a good deck still. So that's, you know, we don't, we don't come in here yucking people's jump. So that all those comments just to say that getting, getting to be, being involved in creating the community, the ground floor is really important to how it's going to look at months after, after the game's out. Right. And, and the reason why I say all this is Lorcana hasn't built a community yet. The game's not out and it's really, really unfortunate that it's so easy for a community to get derailed by one or two really loud, obnoxious people walking in going, well, I just bought such and such and you should play such and such because this person on YouTube said, and everyone else goes, well, I don't really want to play that game anymore because that guy or those people or that individual just kind of ruins it. And I've, I've seen so many communities die because one individual or two individuals just kind of run everybody over. So just just don't let them do it. Stand your ground. Tell them to shut up. Get out. Don't let them poison. There's po- there's a poison in the water hole. Like, don't, don't let them do it because that's the fastest way to lose a community is let one or two really obnoxious people just try and take over and again that's none of their business to tell you what you play this is your hobby it's my hobby it's everyone's individual hobby not you know joe blow from the outside unless they're buying your cards for you they can just go suck air i think me and Suki gave you both two different ways to handle the situation <laughs> so yeah, handle, <laughs> <laughs> handle it whatever there's there's a variety of ways to handle it and that's great right so handle it whatever comfort level you want we both agree that it needs to be confronted Right, because you don't yeah. want those people to, to be the one leading your, your community into a negative space. So yes. whatever way, whatever it needs to be confronted in some way, whether that's by by confronting it in, in, uh, by going over top and saying that's you know with your actions and and, and and saying we don't do that here with your with your actions like showing that we can play different fun decks or whether it's by directly saying no nah, we don't do that here man so that's those are two different ways to handle that same situation which are and there's, there's no wrong way as long as you're doing something yeah but you'll you'll see it it happens every single time every single hobby someone yeah. some groups of people just think they know it all they don't don't let them right. tell you like if they want to you know formulate an opinion have a discussion that's different but if someone just walk around telling people oh you shouldn't do that because of this oh who are you <laughs> <laughs> are you are you a designer? Are you a developer? Do you work for Ravensburger? No, I just play the game. Okay, cool. S- sit down over there. Shut up. <laughs> Get out of my face. <laughs> but uh, I, I think this has been a really, really healthy episode. In yeah. fact, I actually would love to sit down in a future episode with Chris and just kind of have a, an episode completely dedicated to community building because that is a critical aspect of the game. And we have a long time between now and and August when Lorcana goes to print and it goes to store shelves and community building is that's it's possible but yeah, community okay. building is a very unique thing that not many people talk about yeah and it's one of the easiest ways to kill a game that's just unspoken and it's just fascinating people go why did this game die oh well yeah like 90 percent of the people who played were jerks yeah oh i didn't know that yeah because remember that one time you went and people were jerks oh yeah yeah i didn't like that 
and that's why no one played the game. So we'll we'll definitely have a great episode to talk about community building because I know Chris, you've got tons of experience doing it, mm-hmm. and our team collectively has helped you know build not only local communities but we've helped build you know online communities working through you know star wars destiny other ffg games and lorcan is no different all games need a a centralized space where you can play the game you can feel safe you can have fun and you can express yourself through the cards and the mechanics that are available to you and you can do it in an enjoyable manner and not worry about what other people are going to say or think. And so I think that's, that's something really cool that we can work on facilitating and growing with Lorcana um, in a future episode. But, I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Chris, Chris, you you know a lot. And I want to pick your brain because uh, I can tell you have much knowledge and wisdom to share with our our listeners. So it's so, so exciting. I thought you were going to go Yoda there. It sounded like you were going to do Yoda, a Yoda quote there. Oh. Yoda, ha, 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 those seagulls are attacking me. <laughs> Anywho, so thank you to everyone who is listening to the show. I've been watching a lot of YouTube lately. It's been fun uh, getting some laughter. Go, go. If you don't know what I'm referencing, go. We'll look up uh, bad lip reading. I think it's seagulls run uh, seagulls. Yeah, it's like run seagulls run or something. Basically, they took a bunch of clips from Yoda in the Star Wars movies and they redubbed it. And he's talking about walking on a beach and being attacked by seagulls. It's seagulls stop, quotation marks or uh, parentheses stop it now seagulls oh yeah stop seagull, it now. seagull stuff seagull stop it now yeah <laughs> it's really good it's hilarious <laughs> if you if you're having a bad day just pop that on you'll get a great laugh um but that is the end of our show thank you so much to everyone who stuck around and enjoyed listening to this episode uh we want to let everybody know um Jason and myself are in the middle of moving. So for the rest of the month of February, uh, it's very, very unlikely that we're going to have another episode coming out um, because moving is hard enough and having half the team move into different states is just a lot of work. So we're going to take a break. We're going to get established in our, you know, perspective realms and households, and we will come back fresh anew in March. If there is a big announcement, which I honestly don't think, I don't think we're going to get it. But if, if something does happen in February, uh, we will assemble the team and uh, bring you up-to-date coverage. But at this point, if it's just card reveals and stuff from toy fairs, uh, we're just going to take the rest of the month off to kind of, you know, get our lives settled. And we'll be back in uh, March. So thank you again to everyone for joining us. We will see you next time. And remember, as always, Ohana means family, which means nobody gets left behind and nobody gets forgotten. The sticky wheels always hidden the crease I'm totally 